If you have your Bibles, you might be opening them to the book of Romans in the 10th chapter. We'll be reading a section of that chapter in just a moment, Romans chapter 10. While you're doing that, let me take just a moment to express my appreciation and our appreciation as the church for the presence of each and all of you. We have a good number of visitors, and we thank you for being here. Sorry that you miss Reagan in the pulpit. He does an excellent job for us. But glad that you're here and glad that we can worship God and appreciate so much the worship as it has been thus far. We appreciate those who might be joining us online and hope that all of us can just be edified and uplifted. Romans is one of my favorite books. I have about number of others, like every one of them, I guess. Uh, but Romans just appeals to me. And if you're familiar with Romans, uh, I would sum it up by saying it's a letter to the Jews and the Gentiles, the Christians. And he makes something known to these people. He makes known that both Jew and Gentile have sinned, and therefore need the gospel. And that's the second point that he emphasizes, is that all of us, Jew or Gentile, that we all need salvation. And he spends time in Romans 1 showing the Gentiles they've sinned, and he spends time in chapter 2 showing that the Jews had also sinned. And then in chapter 3, he tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But then he also announces that by grace, God will justify us through redemption, through the forgiveness of sins that is found in Christ Jesus. You may also know that the book of Romans is divided pretty much into two places or two parts. There is chapter 1 through chapter 11 that I would call the theology where he's talking particularly about sin and salvation. And then in chapter 12, he, he begins to just be very practical about Christian living. In fact, he starts out uh, that be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. And he tells us the kind of transformation he wants us to go through as Christians. The text that I want to share with you comes toward the end of that first section as he has been talking about sin and salvation. And I want you to read with me beginning in verse 11. He says, For the Scriptures say, Whosoever believeth on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not heard or not believed? And how shall they who have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unto, unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, 
who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. I want to talk with you about the subject, they have not all obeyed the gospel. And as you look at verse 16, notice what Paul says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. He's making a contrast. He's telling us all about this salvation that comes through the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what a wonderful blessing it is that we can be saved. But then he adds, but they've not all obeyed the gospel. I want to talk with you this morning about not all have obeyed the gospel. But I want to start out by just thinking about reasons why people can and should obey the gospel. And let me start by just telling you the gospel has been preached. In fact, look at our text, the book of Romans in the 10th chapter, and look particularly at verse 13. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless someone or unless they are sent? But then look at verse 18. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. So Paul is saying, the gospel has been preached that we ought to obey. The gospel has been preached. This means that people could hear the message of salvation. And over and over we're told that this gospel that we're talking about being preached is the way that we're saved. Uh, go back again even to the book of Romans in the first chapter in verse 16, probably one of the most well-known verses in, in the book of Romans, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and then also to the Greek. And so he's telling us it's, it's the message, the gospel that saves us. I look at the book of 1 Corinthians in the 15th chapter, and uh, Paul starts out this chapter in verse 1, saying, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you're saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed it in vain. So Paul says, this gospel's been preached. Look at the book of Hebrews in the second chapter. And beginning in verse 1. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore we must give earnest heed to the things that we have heard. Notice these are things that we've heard, he says, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just, re just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. And so again, you hear him talking about this 
gospel of salvation and how that it was proclaimed by Christ himself and then by the apostles and others that heard. And, and at first they gave miracles so that they people could uh, know that this was the truth. Turn all the way over to the book of James in the first chapter and notice what he says in verse 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So here again, he points us back to that gospel and tells us it ought to be implanted in us. And then one last passage just to confirm this point. Look at the book of 1 Peter in the third chapter and look at verse 23. And The writer would tell us, 22, well, maybe, that who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. He tells us again in these passages that I think I'm in the third chapter, we need first chapter in verse 23. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And so here again, you see the importance of that word and how, again, he tells us we can hear that word, that it has been made available to us. We ought to obey the gospel because the time of salvation has come. Uh, you go back again to the book of Romans in the 10th chapter and, and verse 13. He says, for whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is Paul writing to these people in Rome, and he's saying, here's a way that we can be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, and, and they're preaching the Lord, and he says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, that person can be saved. Look, if you would, in the book of Acts in the second chapter. And the significance of this is, is that this is the first gospel sermon after Jesus has been raised and, and now gone into heaven and he gives the apostles the commission to go and preach the gospel. And this is them preaching that gospel at the same, the, the same time or at this time. And notice, if you would, in Acts 2 and verse 21, he says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So he's telling them, this is our way of salvation. Whoever it is that calls on the name of the Lord, that person can be saved. And then if you want to look over to the book of Acts in the 22nd chapter, in verse 16, and you see a little bit more about uh, salvation and our calling on the name of the Lord. This is Paul talking about his conversion and how Ananias had come to him and talking to him after the Lord had appeared to him. And in verse uh, 16, he says, And now why are you waiting? This is Ananias asking Saul at that time, or Paul, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. At that time and now, salvation is available to those people who call on the name of the Lord. And, and he tells us that, we call on the name of the Lord by, by repenting of our sins and being baptized in the name of the Lord. 
you look again, and we can see that salvation is promised in Jesus Christ. Again, uh, go back to our text in the book of Romans in the in the tenth chapter, and and just uh, glance at verse eleven first of all. For the Scripture says, "Whosoever believes on Him and will not be put to shame." And so here he is. Whoever believes on him, he says, that person can be saved. This idea of not being ashamed means that salvation is reliable in Jesus. Uh, New King James, King James says, shall not be ashamed. New King James says, shall not be disgraced or will not be put to shame. This same phrase almost is, is used in the book of Romans in the ninth chapter. Uh, many are familiar with Whiteside and his commentary, and he's commenting on this not being put to shame. He's actually talking about it in chapter 9, the last verse, but it would apply to here too. But he just points out that it means that uh, everything that Jesus says is going to happen. That you're not going to to believe that Jesus is going to save you, and then you get up in judgment and him, him say, no, I, I'm just joking, I can't really save you. Or you're not going to get there and him say, I, I, I put my faith in you, Jesus, and him say, well, I'm sorry, I thought I could save you, but I can't. This idea is that you will not be put to shame. He's going to deliver everything he said that he would, including that salvation. Other passages teach us about the certainty of salvation in Christ. Just a couple of them. Look over, if you would, to the book of First Timothy in the first chapter and verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all dissertation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul would say, of whom I am this is a worthy saying, worthy of all acceptation. You can, you can know this is true. You can just rest in, in assurance of what it says. And he says, worthy is this. It's going to happen, he says. Or look at the book of Hebrews in the seventh chapter and, and notice, if you would, verse 25. When he says, Therefore, he is also able to save to the utmost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercessions for them. He's just saying it's certain. We can know and should obey the gospel because we know the certainty of this salvation. Paul, on occasions, expressed his belief in this salvation. Go back again, if you would, this time uh, to the book of 2 Timothy in the first chapter. And notice verse 12. Paul says, For this reason I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Paul went through a lot in persecution, but he didn't care about that. And that didn't make him wonder, I wonder if Jesus can actually deliver. He said, I know this. He speaks with certainty 
that he is a certain of this. And look, if you would, to the book of 2 Corinthians in the 5th chapter as he writes to these Corinthians. And, and again, just notice his confidence in chapter 5 and beginning in verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He's talking about our salvation. The how that one day, though we die in this world, we'll be raised and we'll be in heaven. And he says, I know this. He speaks with certainty of how we will be saved. We can know that ourselves. This confidence that we're talking about is not just something for Paul and something for the early Christians. Anyone who is actually a Christian and living in Christ, the way that Christ says, can have this confidence. Uh, we're talking about staying saved on Wednesday nights, and pretty soon we'll talk about the confidence that we can have. But just notice, if you would, First John, the fifth chapter, and in verse 12 and 13, he says, He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you in, who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son. Now this is the confidence that we have in him. He says, our faith should just be like knowledge. We just know it. And we believe it so much, we know that it's true. And we know that in Christ Jesus we can have that salvation. And so we keep that confidence. And, and we shouldn't have to walk around wondering if we're saved or not. We just need to know the Scriptures and, and know if we're doing what the Scripture says, then we're going to be saved, not by our own works, but because Jesus loves us and Jesus has died for us in that. Christ is reliable. Isaiah, the 28th chapter and verse 16, talks about that he is a tried and a sure foundation, a tried cornerstone, he says. And when you look in Ephesians 2, that passage is referred to, and, and you learn without a doubt that the idea of foundation and, and cornerstone, they're one and the same thing. We, I used to think, you know, the foundation is that that runs the perimeter. The cornerstone to me set in the corner. But that's not the language of the Scripture. If you look particularly at Isaiah, the 28th chapter, he talks about he is a sure foundation, a tried cornerstone. He's saying that foundation is sure and you know it's sure because it's been tried you remember Matthew the fourth chapter that he was tempted like as we are and and other passages talk about how that he was tempted like as we are yet he never sinned and you remember how that he he died and yet he still held that he was the Christ the son of the living God and then he's raised from the dead in fact uh, he is called the first fruits of the resurrection in the first Corinthians, the 15th chapter, in verse 23. You know, if he'd gone around and just talked about be saved and then he had died and he had stayed in the grave, we might wonder, how is he different from anybody else? 
for if he'd work miracles showing that would be something I think. But God didn't just leave it there. He wanted us to be certain about Christ. And so he put him in the grave. They killed him and they put him in the grave. And then on the third day, he raises from the dead. And he makes this promise that all of us that are Christians will be raised unto a resurrection of life. Everybody's going to be raised, but not everybody will be raised to what he calls a resurrection of life. Everybody will exist, John 5 and verse 28, that everybody's going to be raised. Those that believe unto a resurrection of life, they that believe not are to damnation. So everybody's going to exist. But the Christian has the promise of eternal life, that we're going to have a new body that will be suited for heaven. And he's telling us that Jesus showed this to be true. This, this is how we know, one, he's the Christ, because he said, I'm going to be put to death, and then I'm going to rise up from that death. And he did it. And he also said, this is our proof. We can know that we're going to be raised from the dead because he himself was to be raised. But the thing is that all of this, all this is he's saying, that the gospel's being preached. And all this he is saying about Jesus is reliable. And what he's saying about uh, the confidence we can have. Verse 16, he says, but not everybody has obeyed the gospel. Paul's saying, the gospel's being preached. It's the time of salvation. You can have that salvation. And here's how you have it through Jesus Christ. But then at the end he says, but not all have obeyed the gospel. Salvation is not offered to just a limited few, but it's offered to whosoever, that is, anyone who will accept the offer. Look back again to our text in the book of Romans, the 10th chapter, and, and look at verse 11. For the scriptures say, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And then verse 13, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever. You know, there are people that think that we don't really have any choice in our salvation. That they think that you're put here and God has already said, Okay, I'm going to save that person. And it wouldn't make any difference what we do. God's going to save us. And that the rest of us whom God has not chosen and said, okay, I'm going to save him, we couldn't do anything that we wanted to to save ourselves. You could try and live the best life you could, but you couldn't make it because God had already predestined that you weren't going to be saved, meaning you personally are not going to be saved. But that's not what the Scriptures teach. The Scripture says, whoever believes can have life eternal. And that's anyone that wants to believe can be saved. In context, when Paul says whoever be, wants to can be saved, whoever believes can be saved, he's talking particularly about Jew and Gentile. Again, just back up to verse 12. Uh, having said in verse 11, for the Scripture says, whoever believes on him shall not be put to shame. Then he says, for well, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is 
of overall is rich to all who call on It doesn't make any difference whether we're Jew or Gentile. Salvation is open to us. Most of us, I would guess, are Gentiles, but it doesn't matter if you're a Jew. You can be saved, and the most of us being Gentiles, we can be saved. That promise, he says, is to whosoever will just call on the name of the Lord. All can be saved regardless of our past sins. We're probably familiar with Paul's statement in the book of 1 Timothy in the fifth, uh, first chapter. We'll turn over there, if you would, for just a moment. First Timothy 1 and verse 15, Paul says, This is a faithful saying, worthy of all expectation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. This is Paul saying, I'm chief sinner. And if you think about what Paul's life was, I mean, he was a person that, first of all, didn't believe. He believed in the law of Moses. He tried hard to keep that law of Moses. And when people began to preach that, that he was that Jesus was the Christ, he began to persecute them. He's converted on the road to Damascus or uh, sees the Lord on going to Damascus and, and gains faith there when the Lord appears to him. But on that very time, he was going to put Christians to death. And even that didn't stop him from being saved when the Lord appeared to him. He said, however, for this reason I attain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Paul's just saying, I'm chief of sinners. And if that gospel can save me, then it can save you. But Paul is saying in verse 16, even though the power is there, even though it's that kind of gospel that it can save even Paul, what he did, he's still saying, but some haven't obeyed this gospel. All can be saved because Christ died for all. Uh, you're in First Timothy, just look over to chapter 2 and verse 3 through 6. For this is a good and acceptable in the sight of the Lord God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one media between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. The passage in Hebrews 2 and verse 9 would again say, He died for all of us. He gave his blood for all of us so that anybody and everybody could be saved. And not only that, we learn God wants us to be saved. You remember 2 Peter verse 3 and verse 9 when he says, God is not slack as some men count slackness, but rather long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should be saved. Not saying all will be saved, but he's saying... God let the world last as long as it has because he wants people to be saved. He wants us to be saved. He doesn't care what you've done in times past. He still wants you to come to him so he can save you. 
the parables in the book of Luke in the 15th chapter over and over show us about, about the lost and how, how God wants that lost to be saved. Uh, the first one of, of the sheep. A man has 100 sheep, 99 are in the fold, but one has gone astray. And that shepherd goes and looks for that one that is lost. And the point is that that's Jesus, that he's not satisfied with just the 99. He wants all of us. And yet in Romans 10 16, all the saying, even though God has given this plan so that we can be saved, and even though he loves everybody, and even though he, he wants all of us to be saved, he says, not everybody has obeyed the gospel. Let's notice also plan of salvation is simple. Uh, if you look again to our text in Romans the thirteenth or the tenth chapter and look at verse eleven, for the scripture says, Whosoever believes on him will not be put to shame. That's basically saying if you accept Christ as Christ is talking about you can be saved. Verse 13, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So here's what it takes to be saved. You have to have faith in Christ, and meaning you have to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, like ties in our talk. What is he to you? Is he just a character in history? And that's not what he's talking about, believing. Not just believing that he lived here but that you have a strong, abiding faith that he is who he said he was, that he is the Christ, the Savior, come down from heaven to give his life blood so that we could be saved, and you've got to believe that. And I'll tell you that faith is not faith alone, and he makes that point in the book of James in the second chapter, and faith includes obedience. And he tells us we've got to call on the name of the Lord. And so we ask, what does that mean? Well, it means more than just saying, Lord, Lord. Because in the book of Matthew, in the seventh chapter, he talks about some that, that cry out, Lord, Lord. But he says, not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. And notice, he that doeth the will of my Father. So he's not just saying, you just have to say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not going to do what he said. That's not true belief. That's not true faith. And he specifically says that those people that would say, Lord, Lord, and that's all they do is just say it, he said that's not going to help you because they might cry, Lord, Lord, but if they don't do the things I say, you're going to be lost. And that's not earning your salvation. That's just having the faith so that he will give you, showing that you do have faith. Faith without works is dead. You, you can't show your faith without works. Is the idea. And then we, we looked at Acts 2.21 earlier. Where he says, whoever, uh, or the, Peter tells them, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then we see in Acts 2.38 that they cry out, what shall we do? And he doesn't just repeat and say, well, call on the name of the Lord. He tells them more. He says, you need to repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That's where they're calling on the name of the Lord. When they have come to understand that Jesus is the Savior, and now they're calling on him to give them salvation by repenting of their sins 
and being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. They're looking to Jesus to get rid of their sins and doing it the way he said. And we noted Acts 22 when Paul says, And I saith unto me, Why tarrest thou? Arise and be baptized. Wash away your sins. Notice, be baptized. Wash away your sins. Calling on the name of the Lord. It's not just that you say, Okay, I, you just keep hammering me about Jesus as Lord. I'll, I'll say yes and, and then I'll go my way. And I'm going to keep on living just like I have. No. He's talking about calling on the name of the Lord where uh, we accept him as Lord and Master. We do the things that he says do. And it's not hard. You know, I had a friend one time. He said, you know, if the Lord told us walk around the earth for salvation, he said, that'd be hard, but I'd start walking today. And I would, I think. But it's not that hard. He gives us the story of Jesus and he tells us about how he worked miracles and he gives us the story of Jesus and the testimony of people how that he was crucified and put in that grave and then raised up the third day. And they say, this is Jesus, the Lord. And he says, if you believe that, then Confess me as Lord. Repent about your sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus. And you can have salvation. That's a lot easier than walking around the world. Why in the world won't we do it? And yet, Paul writes in Romans, the 10th chapter, verse 16, and says, but they've not all obeyed the gospel. Let's talk for a minute about why some don't obey the gospel. First of all, people cannot obey the gospel if they haven't heard the gospel. He talks about that in Romans 10 and these passages. For what saith the scripture, whosoever believes on him shall not be put to shame, for there is no distinction and so forth. And he says, uh, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, verse 13. But how then shall they call in him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? That ought to really means something to those of us that are Christians. That here we are blessed and we have become Christians. And now we want others to be Christians and to enjoy the salvation that we enjoy. Uh, Jesse was talking about in class about Paul and all that he went through and, and traveled all that he did. Why? He knew that those people were lost without the gospel. God had called him to preach the gospel. And he wants those of us that are Christians to be living a life that, that shines and gives God the glory and, and that invites people to come see Christ and hear Christ. And he wants us to tell them the story of Christ. But ones whom Paul spoke had heard the gospel. Again, just look down to verse 18. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. So this is not people that hadn't heard that we're talking about. This is people that have heard the gospel that still are not obeying it. Many today have heard the gospel but still 
haven't obeyed. Some even in the sound of our voice today, here or online, have not obeyed the gospel. And you wonder why and how. How can they keep from it? I've told you before, I grew up had really good parents. But neither one of my parents were Christians when I was growing up. They had been introduced to, to truth. And when they decided to go to the services, we went to the church. And my older brother obeyed the gospel. I obeyed the gospel. But I was in college, and my mom obeyed the gospel. And I was already out and preaching when my dad finally obeyed the gospel. It's not a case that they haven't heard. It's just that they haven't done it. And there's so many people that, that hear it. And some of them think, yeah, I'm going to someday, but they, they haven't done it yet. And until you do it, you're not saved. I think often of a man, he's dead now, but he worshiped with us. And I heard him tell the story several times that he came with his wife. He was considered a friend to all, everybody accepted him. He was just well-liked. And said the preacher had preached one, one morning and he was walking out the back, out the front door. And he said, you heard a brother say, and called his name and said, I guess he's just going to keep sitting there listening until he dies and goes to hell. And he said, went home and I started thinking that I need to obey the gospel. And he did. And he was a faithful Christian and remained faithful for many years. Some haven't obeyed the gospel. We need to understand that disobedience and unbelief are the reason why some have not obeyed. Look at Romans 10 and 16, but they've not all obeyed the gospel. What is he asking? He's asking us to believe, and yet they've, they've not believed. It's, it's the problem. Uh, verse 21, he says, but to Israel, he said, all day long I've stretched out my hand to a disobedient and contrary people. They just won't obey, he says. They're disobedient. One doesn't have to deny the existence of Christ to be an unbeliever. Uh, you think about Israel, how the, the scriptures call them unbelievers at times in Hebrews, the third, third chapter in verse 19, that they were trying to get into the promised land, but they didn't believe. But that didn't mean they didn't even believe in the existence of God. It just meant they weren't enough faith in them to do what God told them to do. Just know that what God's saying is true and, and do that. And even in Romans the 10th chapter, you go back and look at verse 1 through 4. Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You can still acknowledge 
the existence of God and even the existence of Christ and still be an unbeliever. If you're not doing what he said do, then you're showing a lack of faith and you are an unbeliever in the sight of God. And you will be lost because of that if you don't change. People disobey God when they rebel against his commandments. And, and I would share with you back again in Romans 10, 3, that he said, they being ignorant of God's righteousness, seeking to establish their own righteousness. How many people are seeking to establish their own righteousness, doing what they think is right or what they want to do to be righteous, not what God's God saved? And so when we rebel against the commandment, we're showing unbelief. Revelations talks about we're not to add to the Word of God nor take away from the Word of God. If we're doing that, we're not, we're not enough faith. A person of faith is not going to argue with God and, and, and try and find a different way. They're going to hear God. They're going to hear Christ. And they're going to say, okay, this is what Christ says do. That's what I'm going to do. And you can't substitute other things for the commandments of God and still be a believer. Remember Matthew, the 15th chapter, when Jesus talks to those people, they've got all these rules about washing hands, not doing what God says to do about obeying parents. And he said, in vain do you worship me. Your heart's far from me. You call upon my name, but you, your heart's far from me. And when we take what God says and we change it up and all, then we're showing him our hearts from him. It's not a believer. People often disobey because they are, and disbelieve because they are blinded by Satan. Second Corinthians, the fourth chapter and verse four, he talks about Satan blinds the hearts of men. All of that. And you get down to Romans 10, 16. Paul says, not all have believed. Not all have believed. I can't make up your mind for you. I learned that with my dad. I sat in his room sometimes and talked to him so hard. I look back and I think, I'm surprised he even still called me his son. I was so hard on him sometimes. But when he determined that that's what he needed to do, he did it. We sung that song a little bit ago. Can it be? It just sounded out so much the love of God for us. He doesn't want you to be lost. He wants us all to be saved. in the Lord's Supper where we were reminded He is Lord. He gave His life for us. He wants you to be saved so much. And we want you to be. And so if you are saved, rejoice and thank God for the salvation that you have. And if you're not, why not today? Why not now? Together we stand and sing.